Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the show that helps you reach your full potential with your host, Lisa Tarmati, brought to you by lisatarmati.com. Welcome back to Pushing the Limits. Your host, Lisa Tamati here. And today I have a fantastic guest uh, all the way from America again. This man is, uh, goes by the name of Bobby Capuccio. And he is a world famous fitness professional. He trains a lot of the trainers that are out there. But Bobby has an incredible story that I really want to share with you today. So Bobby was born with a severe facial deformity. And he also had deformed legs and he was given up for adoption. His mother couldn't care for him. Uh, and he ended up being adopted by another man. Um, but he had a very, very abusive, rough childhood. He also developed Tourette's syndrome at the age of nine. And all this adversity, you'd think like, oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> what sort of a life is this guy going to lead? But Bobby has had an incredible life. He's a fitness professional, as I said. He's worked in many gyms. He was the founder and co-owner of uh, PTA Global, which does a lot of the professional fitness development. And he has devised his own strategies and ways of educating people. And his programs are just second to none. Um, when I told my business partner, Neil, that I just interviewed Bobby Capuccio, he's like, oh my God, he's a legend in this space. So yeah, he was like really a bit jealous that I got to speak to him. So I hope you enjoy this interview. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, some rough topics in there, but there's also some really great gems of wisdom. And the funny thing is that Bobby is just absolutely hilarious as well. So I do hope you enjoy it. Before we head over to the show, though, um, just want to let you know that we've launched a premium membership for the podcast. Um, this is a, a patron membership so that you can become a VIP member of our tribe, help support the podcast. This podcast has been going now for five and a half years. It's a labor of love, I can tell you. It takes up a huge amount of my time and resources uh, in both getting these world-class guests uh, for you and also uh, in study and research so that I can talk really and interview very well all these crazy, amazing doctors, scientists, elite athletes and performers. Um, so if you want to support us in keeping this show going and like what we do in the world and you want to keep this valuable content being able to be put out into the world, um, we'd love your support. And for that we're going to give you lots of member premium member benefits so check it out at patron.lisatarmity.com that's p-a-t-r-o-n dot lisatarmity.com and I just also wanted to remind you about my new anti-aging and longevity supplement NMN Uh, I've co- uh, work together with uh, molecular biologist Dr. Alina Seranova to make sure that you get the best quality NMN there is. Now, I searched all over the world for this stuff when I learned about it and researched about it and how it works and what it does in the body. And there is a huge amount of science on it. A lot of it's up on our website if you want to do a deep dive into uh, all things NMN and the NAD precursor, uh, then check it out. It's all about longevity. It's all about slowing down the aging process and even reversing the aging process. So if that's something that interests you and you want high performance, you want help with your cardiovascular health, with neuroprotection, uh, with metabolic disorders, um, then this is something that you should look into as well. So check that out at nmnbio.nz. 
That's nmnbio.nz uh, and go and check that out. It does, the, the supplements have been so popular that I haven't been able to keep up the, with the orders. So on some of the orders, there is a bit of a back order, um, but bear with me while we will scale up production. Um, but go over and check that out at nmnbio.nz. Right, over to the show with Bobby Capuccio. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Pushing the Limits. Today, I have another very, very special guest, and I was recently on this gentleman's show, and now we're doing a reverse interview. I have Robert Capuccio with me. Robert, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. When you said you had a very special guest, I thought you were bringing someone else on. <laughs> you are a very like, special guest. Had a lot of anticipation, like, who is this person? What a surprise. <laughs> well, you're a bit of an interesting character. Let's say that, aren't you, Robert? So um, I'm Just really the microphone. Looking, <laughs> no, I'm really, really interested to hear your story and to share your story with my audience um, and to get a bit more of a background on you and share your gems of wisdom from your learnings from your life because you've, you've done some pretty cool stuff. You've done some, you've had some pretty hard times and, and I'd like to share uh, those learnings with my audience today. So, Robert, whereabouts are you sitting at the moment? Whereabouts are you in the States? Okay, so at the moment, I'm in a place called Normal Heights, which is probably a misnomer. It's not normal at all, but it's a really cool, funky neighborhood in San Diego. San Diego, awesome. And how's lockdown going over there and all of that sort of carry on? Oh, it's great. I mean, St. Paddy's Day, I've got my scarf, I'm wearing green. Um, I've, I've just had a few whiskeys. <laughs> so this will be an good. interesting interview. Yeah. <laughs> so can you give us a little bit of background? Because you've had a very interesting, shall we say, difficult uh, upbringing and, and childhood. And I wanted to perhaps start there and then see where this, this conversation goes a little. Is there, is there any place you want to start in particular? Do you want How far back do you want to go? Do you want to Let's start go right the to beginning? the beginning because your, your backstory is quite interesting from the beginning, really, isn't it? Okay. So I was born, which is obvious, um, in Manhattan, and I, I moved to Brooklyn early. So I, I was born um, rather deformed. Yep. I was born with a significant facial deformity. And my lower extremities, my legs quite never fall. Like if you saw my legs now, they're great. I have a great pair of legs at this moment. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to show you that because that would be a little bit rude. But <laughs> my leg, my legs were kind of deformed and contorted. I had to walk with braces for the first couple of years of my life. Um, I was given up for adoption. Wow. I'm not exactly sure. I, I have the paperwork on why I was given up for adoption, but I'm not really certain about the authenticity of that story. And I wasn't adopted for a while. So as an infant, I was parentless and, and, and homeless and really not well tended to. Um, wow. I'll, I'm not going to get into why I say that because it's pretty disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was adopted. And then my, my adopted father, th this is kind of interesting. He had cancer and he knew during the adoption process that he was probably not going to make it. Wow. But he wanted, to make he wanted to make sure that I found a home because wow. nobody wanted to adopt me. Because, because when, of, when they came in, I was, yeah, I was physically deformed. And it's like, all right, this baby's, it, it's broken. Something's wrong. Do you, do you, do you have a, a better baby? And <laughs> when, when he saw that, 
he thought, right, I've got to get this kid a home. Um, so he passed. He passed when I was two. I didn't oh. know him for more than a few months. Wow. And I hardly have any memory of him at all. My mother who adopted me, it, to be fair, she's developmentally disabled. Yep. And so she was a single mom with not a lot of skills, not a lot of prospects, uh, terrified. And she basically, I, I think she met a guy when mm -hmm. I was five who I, I, I don't know if there's a diagnosis for him. He was, I, he was mentally disturbed. He was a psychopath. Yeah. I don't know if clinically he was a psychopath, but that's pretty much how it felt. Yeah. You're and, a child experiencing this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not like, I'm, I'm never sure in what direction to go with stuff like this. Oh, I'm I never sure what's valid, what's rele relevant. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I spent my childhood in stress positions, um, being woken up in the middle of the night um, with a pillow over my face, um, mm -hmm. having bones broken consistently, and um, a series of rape, yeah. emotional abuse, physical abuse, and just every sort, every sort of trauma. Wow. Um, I can imagine when I was nine years old, I was diagnosed on top of that with Tourette's syndrome. So oh it was God. physically deformed, uh, going through shit like that at home. And then on top of it, I, I, I started um, losing control of my bodily functions. I started yep. exhibiting tics. I, I started exhibiting obsessive compulsive behavior. Um, at some point, it was uncontrollable, but like lack of control of my impulses of the things that I would say vulgarity. Um, at some point the doctors just thought that perhaps I was Scottish. Um, but <laughs> and you're funny as well. On top of it all. <laughs> and, and, and they put me on Haldol, which yep. damaged my brain. Um, yeah. that, that, and the fact that, um, it's estimated I've had at least, um, over a half a dozen, dozen major concussions within my childhood. From and from half a dozen to a dozen massive concussions. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so there's absolute horrific start into life. Well, when I was 10, I started binge drinking. Wow. And I thought this will help. Yeah. Like, yeah, like this is, this is, this is a solution. Wow. But it, it, you know what? It's not, it's a little bit weird when you start a story off like this, because in some sense, it's not me being delusional or Pollyanna, because I, I, I tend to think that I'm a little bit of a realist, sometimes too much, sometimes to the point of walking a fine edge between being hopeful and being a cynic. Yeah. But I, I have to say that a lot of things that I experienced when I was growing up turned out to be quite beneficial. Wow. It shaped me in a way and it helped me engage in certain career paths and certain activities that I, I don't think I really would have sought out had this stuff not happened. So it's not like me delusionally trying to create like all civil silver lining about stuff. It, it, it was shit. I understand the severity of what I went through, but I also understand where that led me. And I understand the, good fortune that I had 
of running into certain people that resonated with me and I resonated with them largely in part because of my history where I don't think I would have related to these people had I not come from where I came from. So you're talking like people along the way that were ended up being mentors or teachers or friends or helping you out of these, you know, horrific and through these horrific situations. Is that what you're meaning sort of thing that would actually help you? Because, I mean, you know, like given a background like that, you're like, you know, if you were a complete disaster and a drug addict and a whatever, you know, nobody would blame you. You know, like you, you didn't have a good start in life whatsoever. You, I mean, and to look at you now, you have, you know, uh, obviously you don't have any facial deformities and you don't, you don't exhibit like now any of that stuff that actually you were and have been through. So how the hell did you get to where you are today? Because you're a very successful person. You have a very successful uh, and, an influ- and a very strong influence in the world. What, how the heck do you go from being that kid with brain problems and concussions and Tourette's and abuse and rape and all of that to being this person who comes across as one, number one, hilarious, very crazy and very cool? You know, like how, how the heck do you get from there to there? You know, just listening to you, I can tell that you're someone who's highly intelligent, perceptive, and an amazing judge of humor. So thank you for that. Um, I, I think it was qu- – a lot of it was quite accidental. Yep. So I had thought when I was younger that I wanted to be a police officer originally. Mm-hmm. And, and – I wanted to be in, involved with special victims. Even before that was a TV show. Brilliant show, by the way. One of my favorite shows on TV. <laughs> but even before that was a, t- a TV show, I thought, you know, if I'm going through what I went through, and it's very hard because I, I had child services um, in New York City. They're called ACS. Mm-hmm. They were at my house consistently. Yeah. But the problem is I believed at a young age that my stepfather was nearly invincible. Yep. Like nobody could do anything. against him. Yeah. And <laughs> when they came to the house and like, look, we, like I had broken bones. My, my arm was in a sling. Um, a lot of times, like I, I, like I broke my tibia. They wouldn't take me to the hospital because they thought, you know, they would suspect stepdad of doing it. So yep. I couldn't even walk. Oh and God. these people were sitting down and said, well, just tell us what happened. And I somehow knew that at a critical moment, my adopted mother would falter. Yeah. She would not have my back. Yeah. She would rescind on everything she says. And she then was frightened they, of this man too, no doubt. She she was frightened. I don't think she had the emotional or intellectual capacity yeah. to deal with the situation. Yeah. Um, that that's all I'll say on that. But I knew yeah. once they left, they couldn't I, I I just knew they couldn't do anything unless I was all in. Yeah. And if anything went wrong, he would kill me. Yeah. So I God. would have to just say, well, I, I fell. And, and it's like, there's no way a fall. Could, like I, I would go into camp and I would have stab wounds in the shape of a fork. And, you know, people were like, well, what happened? And I was like, well, I, fe- I, I was walking and I tripped and I fell onto a fork that went through my thigh and hit my femur. And it's like, okay, that's just not possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I kind of knew. 
Yeah. And I kind of felt like nobody's coming to the rescue. Yeah. And I thought if Hell. I was a police officer and yeah. I was working with special victims, maybe I could be the person that I always wished would show up for me. For you. Wow. But then there were issues with that. So I think I got like out of, out of a possible 100 on the police test, I did fairly well. I, yeah. I, I got 103. There were right. extra credit like questions. And I thought, right, yeah, I'm, I'm going. And then I took the psychological and by, by some weird measure, I passed. That seems crazy to me now. <laughs> it kind of it, it seems problematic. I think they need to <laughs> visit that. But then when I took the medical and with Tourette's, yeah. it was kind of like, oh, yeah, it was a sticking point. So mm-hmm. I had to petition because otherwise I would be disqualified from being part yeah. of the police department. And during that time, I started working in the gyms. Yep. And <laughs> I, when I was working the gyms, it, I, I kind of thought there's no way I'll ever be as intelligent as some of these other trainers here. I, I'm just going to make up a <laughs> work ethic what I lack in intellect. Wow. So I would run around and just try to do everything I could. I would try to clean all the equipment, make sure the gym was spotless. But again, you know, kind of like not like having all my wits about me, I would be spraying down a machine with WD-40. And what I didn't account for is like the person who was on the machine next to me, I'd be spraying him in the face with (laughs) WD-40 when he was exercising. I still do that today, by the way. (laughs) I had that the other day in the gym and the girl next to me who – yeah, she was blind and she was just spraying it everywhere. I had to go and shift to the other end of the gym and start running because I don't like that stuff. Well, I mean, in my defense, the members were very well lubricated, like properly. <laughs> and so people would go upstairs and go, there's this, there's this fucking trainer just sprayed me in the face. And the owner would say, all right, let, let me see who this guy is. What are you talking? This doesn't even make sense. Who, who hired this guy? And we kind of had like the old enthusiastic, the pit. And, and like you could, you could walk up top and look down into the weight room. Mm-hmm. And there I was just running around. And, and there was something about someone running around and hustling on the gym floor that, that made him interested. He's like, get, get this kid up into my office. Let, yeah. let me talk to him. Yeah. And that forged a friendship. I spoke to him yesterday, by wow. the way. So we've been friends for like three decades. And the owner of the gym became kind of like a surrogate dad. And, and he did for me what most guides do. And, wow. and that is when, when you just, you know that there's somewhere you want to go, but you don't know exactly where, where that is. And you don't have complete confidence in your ability to get there. Yeah. And what a good guide does is they help you go just as far as you can see. Yep. Because when you get there, you'll see further. Exactly. And that's what Mitchell did for me. And, and he wow. was different because I, I had a lot of adults. So I, I grew up with not only extreme violence in the home, but I grew up in Coney Island. You know, I grew up living on the corner of shit street and depressing. And <laughs> I, I, there was constant <laughs> violence outside the home and in school. Oh, and I got picked God. on and I got bullied until I started fighting. And then I got into a lot of fights and you just have these adults trying to talk to you. And it's like, you don't fucking know me. You have, you have no, no idea, idea where I come from. You can't relate to me. Like yeah. when you were grown up, like y- y- you had a home, you were being yeah. fed, you were kind of safe. Like, don't even pretend to relate to me. Exactly. And he was this guy who he was arrested over a dozen times 
times by age 30, which wow. wasn't That's why I mentioned. chose him as a mentor, but he, he had gone through some serious shit. Yeah. And w- when he came out on the other end of it, he wanted to be somebody other than his history would suggest he was going to be. Wonderful. And he tried, he tried harder at life than anybody had ever met. Awesome. So one, I could relate to him. I didn't think he was one of these adults who were just full of shit. <laughs> and, I, and I was impressed at how hard he tried yep. to be the person he wanted to be. Yep. So there was, there was this mutual respect and affinity instantly. Wow. And, and so he had a massive influence. And we all need these great coaches, mentors, guides, surrogate dads, whatever the case may be, to come along sometimes in our life. And when they do, you know, how, how wonderful and special that is. And, and someone that you could respect because, like you say, you know, like if you if – you, like I've had a wonderful childhood, you know, in comparison to you, it was bloody Disneyland, you know. And so I cannot relate to some of those things. And I had my own little wee dramas, but they were minor in comparison to what you experienced in the world. So how the heck can I, you know – really really help you out if you're a young kid that i'm trying to to influence and not that you have to go through everything in order to be of help to anybody but just having that understanding that your view your worldview is a limited uh privileged background i you know compared to you my my background is privileged you know well i you know i i don't think there's any compared to you i think a lot of my reaction to adults around me who tried to intercede one if your intercession doesn't work, hmm. it's going to get me in trouble. Yeah. Bad physically. Or, yeah. or it's going to get me killed. Yeah. <laughs> like there have been times where I was hung out of an 18 story window by my oh, ankles. You've got to be kidding me. Like, gra- just- like grabbing onto the brick on the side of the building. Oh, just, com- I-, I can't even say terrified. I don't even know if that encapsulates that experience as a no. kid. But it's like you, you don't understand. Like what you can walk away from once you feel good about interceding with this poor, unfortunate kid. I cannot walk away from the situation that you're going to create. So it was defensive mechanism because pain, pain is relative. I mean, like you go through a divorce and and you lose this love and this promise and somebody comes along and goes, well, there are some people in the world who never had love. So you should feel grateful. You should fuck off because that's (laughs) disgusting. And, and and that that and that compare. is totally void of context. I don't think somebody's pain needs to compare to another person's pain so in well order to be relevant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that was just my my attitude back then because I was protecting my existence. Yeah. I've really changed that perspective because like my existence isn't threatened day to day anymore. Thank goodness. So, so I, 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 have, I have a different take on that. And I understand that these adults were well-meaning because I also had adults around me who, who could have probably done something but did nothing. Mm. So, and, and I don't even blame them because my stepfather was a terrifying person. And yep. the amount of work and energy and the way the laws were structured yep. and, and how threatening he was, I don't blame them. And then like you know me, what? This is I'd probably go to prison. Yeah, but that, I I don't I don't blame them for their inaction. Yeah, and, and, and but this is the problem. You know? it's like we, um, 
just from my own experiences, you know, like I, like I said, this is not even in childhood, this is in young adulthood, being in an abusive relationship, the dynamic of the stuff that's going on there, uh, you're frightened to leave. You, 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 you know that you are going to be in physical danger if you try and leave. So I've been in that sort of a position, but not as a child. But still in that position where, it, you know, people think, well, why don't you just go? And it's like, have you ever tried to leave someone who's abusive? Because it's a very dangerous thing to do. And you, you, you sometimes you're like, just you can't. And if, you know, if there's children involved even, um, then that's even worse. And, you know, there's complicated financial matters. And then there's, you know, whatever the case may be of the circumstances that you're facing, it's not cut and dried. And as an adult, as a powerful woman now, I wouldn't let myself be in a position like that. But I wasn't that back then. And you weren't because you were, well, you were a child. So you're even more, you know. Yeah, I just want to comment on that a little bit. And this is not coming from clinical expertise. This is just coming from my own interpretation and experience. I think obviously that when a child goes through this, you would think, okay, if this started at age five, what could you have done? But a lot of times we do look at, let's say, women who are in severe domestic violence situations and we say, well, how could you have done that? How could you have let somebody do that to you? And I think we need to really examine that perspective Mm -hmm. because powerful, confident, intelligent women might be especially susceptible. Apparently, it is the case. Because you have a track record and you have evidence to support that you are capable and you're intelligent and you find yourself in a situation that you didn't anticipate. And I think it's easier to gaslight someone like that because it's like, how could I have had a lapse of is it me or and and it creeps up on you little by little yes, you're where, so where right. you doubt yeah. yourself a little bit more a little bit more and then you become more controlled and yeah, more, more controlled, controlled. Oh and then God, you, so your, your perspective on reality becomes more and more distorted yeah. so i i think we have to be very careful when Judging. an adult finds themselves yes in that position saying well well why didn't you just leave how could you have let yourself very easily. Yeah, very. I mean, you know, I can it can happen to anyone, especially yeah. if you have a strong sense of confidence and you are intelligent. And because it becomes unfathomable to you how you got into that situation. And oof, it, well, it's, look, yeah, look, looking back on my situation, which is years and years ago now, and you know, of no consequence to the to the gentleman that I was involved with, because I'm sure he's moved on and hopefully, you know, not the same. But the the fact that it shifted over many years, and the the control shifted, and and you, the more isolated you became, as living in a foreign country, foreign um, language, foreign, you know, unable to communicate with my family, et cetera, et cetera, back then. And you just got more and more isolated and, and the behaviors become more and more and more radical as as thing as time goes on. It doesn't start there. Everybody's always lovely at the beginning. 
And then as mm-hmm. the power starts to shift in the relationship, and, and if you're, a, I've, I've, I've listened to a psychologist, I've forgotten her name right now, but she was talking about, she works with these highly intelligent, educated women who are going through this and trying to get out of situations where they shouldn't be in. And she said, this is a, um, some of the common traits are that they, they're the types of people who want to fix things, are the types of people who mm-hmm. are strong and they will never give up. And that is actually to their detriment in this case, you know, and I'm a very tenacious type of person. So if I if I fall in love with someone, which you do at the beginning, you know, then you're like, well, I'm not giving up on this person. They need, they might need some help and some, you know, whatever. And when you're young, you think you can change people um, and you can, you can fix them. And I, and I, it took me, you know, a number of years to work out. And I hang on a minute. I haven't fixed them. I've screwed myself over and I've lost who I am in the process. And, you know, and you have to rebuild yourself. And, and like you, and I mean, like your case is really um, quite exceptionally extreme, but um, like you, you've rebuilt yourself and you've created this person who is, you know, exceptional, resilient, powerful educated, uh, influential, um, you know. And, and, and dysfunctional. And dysfunctional at the same time. Hey, me too. And <laughs> fucked up in <laughs> 10 different ways. Yeah, yeah. Hey, none of us have got it right. As, as our mutual friend Craig Harper would say, you know, we're just differing degrees of fucked upness. Um, but That would be spot on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I, t- I totally, you know, some of the most high-functioning people that I get to meet, and I get to meet some pretty cool people, you know, there's hardly any of them that don't have some area in their life mm-hmm. where they've got that fucked upness going on and they're working on it because we're all works in progress and that's okay. The thing you said that I really caught is you lost your sense of self mm-hmm. and the isolation. Mm-hmm. And that is what abusers do is progressively they start to isolate and create enemies out of strong alliances and allies. And when you lose your sense of self and you're so isolated, because as much as we want to be strong and independent, we are highly interdependent tribal people. We form and calibrate and shape our sense of, of identity and the context through which we navigate through the world off of one another. And when you're isolated, with a distorted sense of reality and you lose your sense of self, you become highly incapacitated Mm -hmm. to take action in this situation. And you develop, I think what Martin Seligman would call learned helplessness. Yep. Yep. And, and, and I, I think assigning fault or blame or accusation either to yourself or doing that to somebody else, not only does that not help, it stops people from coming forward. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Because it, because it reinforces the mental state that makes them susceptible to perpetual abuse in the first place. Yeah, that is, that is so true. So how did you start to turn around? Like, so you, you met Mitchell, Mitchell was his mm-hmm. name, and he started to be a bit of a guiding light for you and, and, and mentor you, and, and you were in the gym at this phase, stage. Um, so what sort of happened from there on in? So what age were you at this point? Like uh, your teenage years, late teenagers? or? or? Yeah, I, I met Mitchell when I was like not 19 years old. Mm-hmm. And it what he allowed me to do, and it wasn't a strategy, is he allowed me to focus outside of myself. Mm-hmm. Because every emo- every strong emotion you're feeling, especially in a painful way, resides within you. 
So if you feel a sense of despair or you feel disgust or loneliness or isolation um, or, or any type of pain and you would look around your room and go, well, where's that located? Where's my despair? I searched my whole desk. I can't find it. It's not there. It's not in your outer world. It's in your inner world. Yeah, and what he gave me the ability to do is say, okay, um, I grew up physically deformed. And, and despite everything I was going through, my physical deformities were one of the most painful things. Like uh, the irony, more painful than anything else because you couldn't see me out in the shops and go, okay, this is a person who has been severely physically sexually abused, who's suffered emotional trauma. You could yeah. see that as I walk through the house, but you could say, okay, this is someone who doesn't look right. This is yeah. someone who, and I can see the look of disgust on people's face really? when they saw me physically and there was wow. nowhere to hide. You couldn't mask that. Really? And I, and I started thinking, well, what about people who, feel that about their physical appearance and they don't require surgery. Yep. What are they going through and how do I focus more on them? How do I take a stand for that person? What's the areas of knowledge? What are the insights? What are the resources that I can give these people to be more resourceful in, in, in finding a sense of self and finding their own way forward? And being okay with, with the way that they are because it must be just you know, Being like, okay with the like, way they are, seeing a, a, an ideal version of themselves in the future and, t and engaging the behaviors that helps them eventually bridge that gap where their future vision at some point becomes their current reality. So I started focusing on things and a mission and people outside of myself. Mm -hmm. Who's going through something similar to what I have gone through, even if it's not precisely the same situation? How do I help them find their way out? And by helping them find their way out, I found my way up. Wow. That's gold. And that's what you ended up doing then in the, you know, within the, the gym setting or how did that sort of work out from there? Well, I became, I became a trainer mm -hmm. and, and in the beginning, I would say like an average trainer, but I, I became <laughs> what Mitchell called like the person who saved people. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I never saved anyone. You, you can't change anyone but yourself. But the reason why he, he called me that is anytime someone would think about joining the gym, if they would sit down with someone, they approached it from, well, what can we do? Can we give you, can we give you a couple of extra months? Can we give you a guest pass to invite some friends? They, they approached it from a transactional perspective yep. where when I sat down with these people, I approached it from a transformational perspective. Uh -huh. What did you want most? What do you want most in your life in this moment? And what, what, what hasn't happened? What missed what was the disconnect? Where have we failed? What did you What did you need that was not fulfilled in your experience here? And 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 how do we give you those resources? How do we wow. support you going forward? And it was also like, look, if if you want to leave, we totally respect that. You've given us a chance to help you, and obviously the fault was ours. I never blamed anyone, but if you had a chance to do it again, what would have made the difference? And wow. give us that opportunity. And it's like, oh, this person's like a retention master. It's not. It's not <laughs> that. It's it, my focus wasn't in retention. It was the intention, rather, to 
relate to the individual in front of me. Caring about the actual person and their actual situation and their actual wishes and goals rather than, you know, how can I sweeten the deal so you don't leave? (laughs) Precisely. And, And that had some unintended consequences because it put me in a bad situation because I got promoted against my will. <laughs> oh, I didn't want to get promoted. And I thought, you know, I, I'm just I'm just getting a reputation for being somewhat good in my current job. And now they're going to promote me to, to my level of incompetence. And now I'm going to disappoint Mitchell. He's going to find out this kid's actually an idiot. He's a fraud. I was wrong. And the one person who believed in me, I'm going to lose his trust and his faith. And that's going to be damaging. So that let, so me being promoted into management led to a a series of unpredictable events that shaped my entire career. Okay. Tell us about that. Tell us about that. So you were pushed out of your comfort zone because you just got a grip on this thing that you aggressively pushed out. (laughs) So, so Mitchell had a, uh, Mitchell had a consultant and his name, his name was Ray. Uh, his name still is Ray, actually, <laughs> coincidentally. And he said, yeah, I think you should promote Bobby. Just, just a small promotion to head trainer. Nothing, not like fitness manager, just head trainer. And w- when they approached me, it, it, it was almost like, oh, it, it, it was almost like they told me, like, I had to euthanize my pet. It, it was horrible. <laughs> I was not excited about this. And I was, I was like, Oh, thanks, but no thanks. I I, I love where I'm at. Yep. And then they want to grow. (laughs) Well, they had a response to that. They said, there's two directions you can go in this company. You could go up or you can go out. Wow. And uh, they fired me that day. Wow. Because you wouldn't wouldn't go up. (laughs) They're like, you've chosen out and that's okay. That's your decision. And I was devastated like that. My identity at that love. Point was connected to that place. And, and on my way out the door, Mitchell was like, come into my office. Yeah. And um, he's sitting across from me and, and he kind of looked like a very mus like an extremely muscular version of Burt Reynolds at the time, <laughs> yeah. which was, which was very intimidating. Yeah. Yeah. Thought. Yeah. And he puts his feet up on the desk and he's leaning back and I, I, he's eating an apple. And he says, you know, I heard a rumor that you're recently unemployed. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, so I, I would imagine, you know, you, your schedules opened up quite a bit this week. You know, coincidentally, we're interviewing for a head trainer position. <laughs> You might want to come in and apply because you've got nothing to lose. <laughs> what a complete and total cock. Um, and I say that with, with love, gratitude, <laughs> gratitude and love. So I, I you, showed you up. needed <laughs> a kick yeah, up the I, bum. <laughs> I, I remember um, I, I showed up in a wrinkly button down shirt that I did not properly iron, which was brought to my attention. And I got the job. <laughs> And I was the worst manager you've ever met in your life because I had no, first of all, my motivation was not to serve my team. My motivation was not to disappoint Mitchell. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was the wrong place for your head to be in. If you have the audacity to step into a leadership position, right. whether you tell yourself you were forced into it or not. Fact of the matter is, no, I could have, 
I could have chosen unemployment. I yep. would have done something else. I chose this. You, you, your team is your major responsibility. <laughs> and that, that perspective has served me in my career, but it, it, well, it's also been problematic. So I had people quitting because for me, I was in the gym at 5 a.m. And yep. I took two hour break during the afternoon. And then I was, I was in the gym till 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night. I oh, expected wow. you to do the same thing. Yeah, 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 so yeah. I didn't understand the worldview and the needs and the aspirations um, and the limitations of the people on my team. Mm-hmm. So people started quitting. I started doing horribly within my position. And then Mitchell brought in another consultant and he gave me some he gave me some advice. I didn't take it as advice at the time, but it changed everything and it changed rapidly. This guy's name was Jamie. I don't remember his uh, surname, but he sat me down and he said, um, so I understand you're having a little bit of trouble. Yeah. No shit, man. <laughs> Re- really per- perceptive. <laughs> I said, well, just, just tell me, well, who do you work for? I said, well, I work for Mitchell. He said, no, no, no. But who do you really work for? I thought, oh, oh, right. Yeah. The general manager of the gym, Brian. I work for Brian. He said, no, who do you you really work for? I thought, it it must be the fitness manager, Will. So I work for Will. He's like, who do you work for? And now I'm starting to get really like irritated. I'm like, yeah, yeah. this, this guy's a bit, me, man. <laughs> this guy's a bit thick. Like, I don't know how many, how many ways I can explain it. I've just pretty much named everybody. Oh, my bosses. Like, who you reckon? Yeah. Who do you reckon I work for? He said, no, you just named everyone who should be working for you. Yeah. 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 You got you it upside down. A single person you work for. Who are your trainers? And he said, here, let me help you out. Imagine for a second, all of your trainers got together and they pooled their life savings. They, they, they scraped up every bit of, of resources they could to open up a gym. Problem is, they're not very experienced. And if they don't get help, they're going to lose everything. They're going to go out of business. They go out and they hire you as a consultant. In that scenario, who do you think you'd work for? <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm the one that's thick. Yeah. I'd work for them. <laughs> he said, in, in, in every interaction every you have, yeah, it, it made such a difference because it, it, it sounds counterintuitive. Yeah. But he said, in every meeting, in every interaction, whether it's a one on one meeting, team meeting, every time you approach someone on the floor to, to, to try to help them or you think you're going to correct them. Come from that perspective and deliver it through that lens. Wow. And things started to change rapidly. Yep. That was one of two things that changed. Yep. The second thing that changed is Mitchell believed because he would listen to self-help tapes and it inspired him. So he would have me listen to self-help tapes and he believed that oration in front of a group, public speaking. Yep was culturally galvanizing. Yep. And in a massive team meeting where we had three facilities at the time, where he brought in a couple of hundred people for, for a quarterly meeting, he had me stand up and speak. Wow. And, oh man, I, I, I like, 
I know you've done a lot of podcasting. You do a lot of public speaking in front yeah. of audiences. You know that experience where you get up to speak, but your brain sits right back down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, you just, as Craig was saying the other day, it doesn't matter how many times you do it, you're still absolutely packing yourself because you want to do a really good job and you go, this, this is the day I'm going to screw it up. I'm going to screw it up, even though I've done it 10,000 times. Oh, yeah. If, if you're not nervous, job, if you're not wrong. nervous in front of an audience, you've got no business being there. Yeah, is, that is very disrespectful. I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this is coming from, in my opinion, one one of the yep. greatest speakers in the world. Um, and I'm not just saying that because Craig's my mate and he gives me oatmeal every time I come out to Melbourne. I'm saying that because uh, he he's just phenomenal and authentic in front yeah. of the room. But I had that experience and I'm standing up brainless in front of the room. Yeah. And as I start to realize that I am choking, I'm getting so nervous. Now, this is this is back in the 1990s. Yeah. And I was wearing this boat neck muscle shirt that said Gold's Gym and these uh, these pair of workout pants that were called T. Michaels. They were tapered at the ankles, but they ballooned out. Do you know what the ones <laughs> yeah, I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah, yeah. And I had I had a lot of change in my pocket. <laughs> And all you could hear in the room, jingle, jingle. as my knees were shaking, you could hear the change <laughs> rattling, which wasn't doing anything for my self-confidence. And, and just instantly, I was like, right, you are either going to epically fail at your job right here, or you are going to verbatim with intensity, recite word for word. Like everything you remember from Dennis Waitley's Psychology of Winning Track for Positive Self-Determination. Sorry, Dennis, I did plagiarize a bit. And <laughs> I said it with passion, not because I was passionate, because I knew if I didn't say it with fierce intensity, nothing but a squeak would come out of my mouth. <laughs> and the jingle in the pocket. <laughs> and, at the, and the jingle in the pocket. And at the end of that, I got a standing ovation. Wow. And that's not what moved me. No? What moved me was weeks ago, I was clueless in my job. I got this advice from Jamie on, you know, you work for them. They are your responsibility. They are entrusted to you. They don't, don't treat people like they work for you. Now I had this, this situation happen and, and my trainers avoided me a month ago when I got promoted. But now they were knocking on my office door. Hey, can, can I talk to you? Yeah, Would yeah. you help me? And, yeah. I, and it just clicked. The wow. key, the key to pulling yourself out of pain and suffering and despair is to focus on lifting up others. Yep. Being of service. And that was it. I, I thought I'm, I could be good at something. And what I'm good at is not only it's terrifying before you engage in it, but yep. it's euphoric after yep. and it can help other people. Yeah. I I can generate value by developing and working through others. Yeah. I thought, oh, this and, is and this is like gold for um, management and team leaders and people that are in charge of teams and people is you know, and I see this around me in the in some of the corporations where where I, you know get to work and consult and stuff is is there's this very much this top down mentality. I'm the boss. <laughs> you doing what I say because I'm the boss. And that doesn't work. It might work with 19-year-olds who have no idea 
in the world. But oh, it, it, it reeks of inexperience. Yeah, yeah. And if and you everything. think you're the boss because you yeah. had certain qualities and that's why you got promoted, do what I say. You are a detriment to to the. And yeah. I know how many people are fucked off and calling bullshit. I don't care. Yeah. Um, I mean, not not to toot my own horn. Um, like anything I've ever accomplished, I've learned I have accomplished through hiring the right people and yeah. having a team that's better than me. Yeah, but yeah, I have yeah. been in so many management positions from the very bottom to the very top of multiple organizations. I've mm-hmm. consulted all over the world. You you are only as good as your team, yeah. and 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 the the. To borrow from the late, great Peter Drucker, the purpose of a business is to create and keep a customer. And your most valuable customer is your internal customer, the team that you hire. Because unless you are speaking to every customer, unless you are engaging with every customer complaint, unless you are engaging in every act of customer service on your own, which means your business is is small, which is fine. But if it's a lot, you're not. You want to grow. you You couldn't scale that. It is always your team and your job is to create and keep your internal customer by serving them at the very least with the same tenacity, sincerity, and intention that you are serving your external customer. If you don't do that, you're going to be shit as a leader. And honestly, I don't don't give a fuck what anybody thinks about that because I, I, I have heard so many opinions from people who are absolutely that they've got a ton of bravado they beat their chest but they are ineffective yeah Yeah. and it's extraordinary what you can accomplish when When you know how to do number one hire the right person yeah that's number two set expectations clearly yeah clearly specifically number three understand what motivates each individual as, as an individual person and as a team, and then develop that team's capacity individually and collectively to channel that capability towards the achievement of a common vision of a common monthly target period. Wow. So that's just, that, that's, that's just a leader, whole that, life that is, that is leadership in a nutshell. Yeah. And this is the tough stuff because this is, you know, it's, and it's easier said than done. I mean, I'm, you know, trying to scale our businesses and grow teams and, and stuff. And number one, hiring the right people is a very big minefield. And number two, um, I, you know, I've started to realize in, in my world that I can't, I have, to, I, 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 there's not enough of me to go around. I can't be in 10 places and 10 seats at 10 at once. Mm-hmm. You're getting overwhelmed. You're trying to help the universe and you're, you're one person. So you're trying to replicate yourself in the team that you have and provide the structure. And then you also need those people where you're weak. You know, like I'm weak at certain aspects. I'm weak at technology. I'm hopeless at systems. I'm, you know, I know my weaknesses. I know my strengths. So I'm I resemble to- that comment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. and and trying to get those people where you that 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 are better than you, not as good at better better than you, and never to be like intimidated because someone is brilliant at something. They're the ones you want on your team because they are going to help with your deficits. Mm-hmm. And we've all got deficits and blind spots and things that we're not good of or we don't love doing. Um, and then trying to develop those team members so that you're providing them and treating them respectfully, looking after them, educating them. And that takes a lot of time too. 
which is, you know, and it's really hard as a smallish business that's trying to scale to go from that wearing a thousand hats. And, you know, a lot of people out there listening will be in similar boats as us, you know, like wearing a hundred hats and trying to do multitasking, getting completely overwhelmed, not quite sure how to scale to that next level where you've got a great team doing a whole lot of cool mm-hmm. stuff and then realizing the impact that you can have is tenfold or a hundredfold, you know, Absolutely. And, and I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not really a good business person per se. Like I've owned a few businesses myself. I've worked within quite a few businesses. And I, I think what I'm good at, and, and this goes back to another um, person that I, I worked for shortly after Gold's Gym. So Gold's Gym was sold. That's a whole story you don't need to get into. Mm-hmm. This is an interesting guy. I was doing consulting. I, I was just going out and doing public speaking. I had independent clients and I crossed paths with an individual named David Barton. Mm-hmm. This is someone you should get on your podcast. Really? Talk about an interesting individual. And David Barton had the one of the most unique and sexy, edgy brands in New York City. And, wow. and that's when you had a lot of competition with other highly unique, sexy, edgy brands. And he, he was the first person. He coined the, the phrase, look better naked. It was actually him. That's the guy. It was on the cover of New York Magazine. Oh, wow. I mean, he was constantly like his club in Vogue and Harper's Bazaar. And he ended up hiring me as his head of training. And at his company at that time in the 1990s, which is quite um, the opposite uh, of, of the mentality, the highest position you could ever achieve in his company was trainer. It was right. all about the training and, and it made a difference culturally. And it made a difference in terms of like, like we were, we were probably producing more revenue per club and personal training at that point than almost anyone else in the world, wow. but with the exception of maybe Hoppers in Melbourne. Yep. So this is how far me and Craig go back, actually. Wow, our is that right? That, yeah, because we, we, we had found out about each other just a few years after You're talking that. Talking about Craig Harper, the legend. Craig Harper, yeah. <laughs> and it, when, when he had his gyms. So we, we were introduced by a guy named Richard Boyd, a mutual friend, who was like, you've got to meet this guy because he's doing <laughs> what you were doing. And it, it all started when I went into David Barton Gym and – I just thought, oh, this is a different world. Mm-hmm. This is another level. Am I in over my head? So again, it was that it was that doubt. Mm. It was that uncertainty. But I did. Syndrome. Uh, yeah, and I think we all have it. And I think oh, the yeah. only people who don't have imposter syndrome are imposters, <laughs> because if you're fraudulent, <laughs> you wouldn't engage in the level of self honesty and humility and conscientiousness to go. Am I? Am I? Am I fraudulent? Is there something that I'm missing? Yeah. Only Is a con artist never idea? considers yeah. whether or not they're fraudulent. It's <laughs> does that keep you stuck, or does that help you to get? better and more authentic, more sincere. So I had the presence of mind to ask David a very important question. And I said, David, if there was like like two things or three things that I can do in this company exceedingly well, what two or three things would best serve the member, wow. the company as, as a whole, and, and of course, my career here with you. And... David leaned back and he did one of these. 
That was the face he gave me, literally. And he sat there for, for it must have been like five seconds. It felt like an eternity. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, that that was the stupidest question I could possibly ask. He probably th- he probably thinks I should have this all, you know, like sorted out. After all, he hired me. Oh, am I going to am I going to get sacked today? And then oh, I was like, I can't get sacked. My house just got ransacked by the FBI. That was a totally different story. And <laughs> he comes, he leans forward. And he says, two things, two things you got to do. Number one, and I'm paraphrasing, but it was something very similar to, I want you to be a connoisseur of talent like a sommelier is a connoisseur of wine. Mm -hmm. I want you to hire interesting and great trainers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's number one. And they just sat there again. And I'm like, I think it was a power move. Looking back, it was a power move. I was like, <laughs> using the silence. What? What's number two, David? And he said, train the shit out of them. And when you're done with that, here's number three. Train them again. Number four. Train them again. Number five. Train them again. Yeah. And, and that stuck with me. And a year later, I, I wound up leaving David Barton. And I, I had come back to work with him periodically over the course of, of many years. And I personally loved the experience every time. Yeah. We're still good friends today. Awesome. And I went to NASM. And yeah, I became yeah. a, a, a presenter, senior presenter. And, and wow. eventually I became the director of professional development for the National Academy of Sports Medicine. And I brought that with me. And, and trust me, there was times when I was quite wow. a weirdo because I thought quite differently than, yeah, yeah. than a team of educators and clinicians. But it helped and it served me well and it served me throughout my life. So I, I am shit at so many aspects of business, but I am really good and, and c- probably because I'm very committed to recru- recruiting people with right. the same level of insight, precision, intuition, and sophistication that a sommelier would approach a, a bottle of wine. Oh, I need to talk and, to you about and, my business at some point then. <laughs> I need you to help me to pick out the right people because I keep getting the wrong ones. That I'm very confident Sometimes. I can help. When it comes to <laughs> recruiting and selection and hiring and training and development, that is my That's your jam. Yeah. And, and, and because of anything I've ever accomplished, it's totally through other people. It's wow. because I hired people that were a lot smarter than me. It's funny because <laughs> that's another piece of advice I got way back in my uh, gold gym days where uh, one of the consultants was in the room and said, you know, you'll be successful to the degree that you're able and, and willing and willing to hire people that are more intelligent than you. Yeah. And, and Mitchell quipped, that shouldn't be too hard for you, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> so like, okay, yeah. Thanks, yeah, asshole. nice friend. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's he's you need amazing. those ones, don't you? Hard case ones. Hey, Bobby, this has been a really interesting and I feel like we probably need a part two because I don't you know, we haven't even touched on everything because you've had a, an incredible career and you know what I, I, I just look at you as like how how far you've come and there must have been so much um 
you know, that you haven't even talked about. I mean, all the really deep stuff that you went through as a child. and how no, you- I've told you everything. There's nothing. Yeah, else. but how the hell did you actually turn your mindset around and how did you, you fix yourself and get yourself, well, to the point, you know, where you are today? But, I, you know, I think we, we've run out of time for today. But um, so, so where can people engage with what you do and where can people find you and all of that sort of good stuff? Okay, well, I just started my own podcast. It's it's you know it's decent, which is awesome because um, I've been yeah. on it. <laughs> so, so if if you are looking for like one of the most dynamic, interesting, and inspiring podcasts you've ever encountered, <laughs> go to the You Project by Craig Hopper. <laughs> the You and Project is Craig. Yeah. If you still if you still have time after that. And you're looking for like some decent podcast material, go to the self-help antidote. That is my podcast. Yep. And you know, I'm, I'm on Facebook. Social media is not really where I live. It's, it's not where I want to live. It's not where yeah. I like to live, yeah. but I, I'm there. I, I'm, yep. I'm on Facebook, me and the, the, the rest of the older generation. As <laughs> um, yeah. Piss off kids. And yeah. I'm on, I'm on Instagram. I'm occasionally on LinkedIn, but not really. Yeah. Um, I will be on Clubhouse because I got to find the time. What the hell's Clubhouse? I'll never come on. Clubhouse is, you you know, it's funny. I'm I'm going around talking about Clubhouse. I'm promoting Clubhouse. I don't even know exactly how to use (laughs) it. I don't know what it is, but (laughs) I've been invited on it a couple of times to join in and and, um, to speak in in a seminar. I'm like, this is amazing. This is a game changer. I love it. I don't even know what I'm talking about, but I'm (laughs) intending to get on Clubhouse. It's okay. one of those things where it, it, it's like you see someone across the room. And it's like, I don't know who she is or what she's about, but there's chemistry. There. I know this <laughs> is different. But okay. yeah, that's kind of, okay. Wow. That's, we'll have to look in, we'll have to look into Clubhouse. I don't know. I just realized I'm way too excited about Clubhouse. But anyway, yeah, I'll be on there. <laughs> It's the beginning of the love affair. You always get overexcited at the beginning. Yeah, it's going to burn out quickly. I'm going to wind up seeing. I'm going to wind up using other social media platforms. Exactly. <laughs> but so, Bobby, so the the the, the self help antidote is your podcast. That's the best way to connect. Have you got a website too that people can go to? Okay, um, I'm constructing a self help antidote website. Cool. My website developer is moving a lot more slowly than I thought. Yeah. Uh, I'd have to sack them. No, yeah, mate, sack. welcome to my world. Everything moves That's slower it. in the world of uh, than you want it to do. Hey, Bobby, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for sharing so openly and vulnerably about your your past, your childhood, um, the, some of the dramas that you went through. And I, and I love your sense of humor. Uh, I love what you stand for and how you help people and you help teams be the best that they can be. And I really appreciate you. And I'm very glad that Craig has connected us and Tiffany. Thanks guys. You guys rock. Um, And we'll get you back again. I reckon. Thank you so much, Lisa. That's it this week for pushing the limits. Be sure to rate review and share with your friends and head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatarmaty.com. 